นโมทัสสะปะกวะโทรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะปะกวะโทรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะปะกวะโทรหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะปุตังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสัมิ Monasteries has never had so many people who know how to ask for the Dhamma talk. <laughs> This is <laughs> like very excellent, excellent. So, so yeah, we're part of a tradition which has in it all kinds of cultural elements, which I love. I love all the the way of coming together as a corporate group and doing things which aren't just based on. Individuality, art, iconography, chanting, liturgies. These are we all. Sangal has an outfit. <laughs> Why does it now? My mother, she never liked my outfit. <laughs> she, she saw. I think she saw some Zen robes. I said, "Well, that's much more elegant, can't you?" <laughs> I caught her once imitating a monk. She was talking to Linda and Adrian, and you know how we're always adjusting these robes. We're always going like this, because because basically it's just this bed sheet which keeps falling off. So we're always doing this and you know getting the robe on, and lo and behold, I was. Linda and Adrian were giving her massage, and I was in the kitchen, and I and I looked over. What's she doing? Why she's imitating me? She was showing them what monks do all the time. <laughs> so we have a twenty-five hundred-year-old garb, but it is this is you know it's really quite amazing that we have a, a whole vehicle that we can come together and and pretty quick we understand. Know what we're doing and how we how how we live socially together. This is very very helpful. Individually, we all we all face our own challenges, physical, emotional, historical challenges. But this a beautiful way of life that we've inherited from Asia, more specifically Thailand and, and Sri Lanka, Burma. This is a, a wonderful gift we get from from Asia, and now this. This Buddha image is coming tomorrow, and uh, I was explaining to the sangha um, that the original impetus for this Buddha image came when I mentioned to the former ambassador and his wife that we want to build a meditation hall, and immediately they said, "We'll make the Buddha," just like that, and uh, the Thai, the Thai embassies. Uh, throughout the world, have kind of a, a duty to support Buddhist institutions, which they feel are are wholesome and representative, especially of Thai Buddhism. So, uh, Ambassador Pisan and his wife Yom Koi, they got together. What they have to do is they have to apply to the Foreign Office in Bangkok, and then they can get a certain amount of money. To support monasteries, if there is a project, so say the tractor that was largely paid for by the embassy, but plus others made donations at Katina, 
So this, so they made an application to the foreign office, and they got they got the funding. It took a lot of work, a lot of people in Bangkok and and in the offices here in Ottawa. They got the funding, and then Yom Koi, the ambassador's wife, she had a artist working on a on a, an original Buddha image, who was a professor in university in Bangkok, and. Uh, he just wasn't getting it done. He, it was kind of done. It was a, it was a small one, a maquette. And when you do a small one and then you up it to a big one. Anyway, I saw it and it was quite exquisite, but he just was so obsessed with his art and loved his art so much that he could not get it to production stage. And so what was happening is that the, the funding for this had to be used by the end of the year, otherwise it all just goes back into the pot back in Bangkok. So the, so much work had been done. So finally, I was in India, and I started. I just communicated with the Omgoy. I said, "Let's just go for it and get a get one of the factories in in around Bangkok who do this, and they do very good work." And so, I sent her two pictures, and. She showed the uh, factory owner, who's a disciple of Lone Pauliums, and they produced it in less than two weeks. By the time I got back from India, there it was, the, the wax model. And then from that, they were able to then to get the, the bill from the factory owner, and then they submitted the bill to the foreign office, and we got in just before Christmas. So those funds were, were used. And, so many people in, in the foreign office and here had put a lot of effort into making this happen, that it was wonderful that we pulled it off. And then in March we had the pouring. And so through the whole process, this constant generosity, because it you know, costs quite a bit of money to make, not, not, not that much really, but it costs a, a fair penny. And we also made replicas, small ones and bigger ones. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of constantly thinking, okay, where's the funding going to come for this? And lo and behold, someone gives some money, someone gives some money. Tan Sivijano's brother has a restaurant, Wayu is his name, and right near where the factory is, where the pouring was. And he came for the pouring, and he does fundraisers at his restaurant. <laughs> so he's always got a project, he's fundraising, so he raised a bunch of funds for Tisa Rana. And that just the kind of outpouring of generosity in Thailand is just just very, always very very moving. And then the, and then the pouring of the Buddha, there were sixty five bhikkhus, including a lot of bhikkhus senior to me. Lumpur Liam was there, and Lumpur Sopa, Lumpur Kampong, um, and several hundred lay people. Yeah. And and the ceremony itself was quite ornate in many ways, and the the workers were decked out in, in whites, kind of like Brahmin, like Brahmin priests, actually. And one of, the, one of the traditions is to, people will put jewelry into the, into the initial. What they do is they have the, the Buddha image in a plaster cast upside down, the wax, and then they pour into that molten iron, and the molten iron pushes out the wax, and you get this core, or you get this uh, shell of, of metal. It's called the lost wax process. And so people put in their wedding rings and jewelry and 
Siddhartha's mum sent some and he had some stuff so I took that to Thailand and that'll be in the image somewhere. There's a lot, a lot of lovely, lovely elements there and then the what the lay people were doing, they had these little brass, like, like sheets of thin, thin brass and they were writing on well-wishing or aditanas or sharing merit with their relatives uh, with uh, using a, a nail and then they poured that in the mold, in the melting and into the mold. So there's a lot of action there. It was 40 degrees. It was very hot. It was March, very, very hot. So then, then they made the replicas and then there's all the polishing because it's metal. It's a lot of work. And the craftsmanship's very good. So I'm terribly curious. I haven't seen it. I've seen the replicas. So I had these replicas in Bangkok when I was there and I had a chance to give one to uh, Yomwayu, Tan uh, brother, and we sent one off to his mum too. And then I was able to give 30 to the foreign office, 20, 25, and another 25 to people around. Oh, it's great fun. Just, just, yeah, here, here. Just a fabulous feeling. Everyone's so happy, right? And then I'm thinking, okay, so we've got to get this thing shipped, and shipping as much as the as the Buddha image. And where's the money going to come from that? Lo and behold, someone, oh no, we'll. And someone paid for that, and here we are. So this 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 uh, goodness begets goodness, uh, and uh, the just joy of the joy of uh, having a having it like a tradition that people in all walks of life can participate in. Is is a, is a great treasure. It's a great treasure. So something like a a Buddha image isn't just kind of functional bit of kitsch, right? <laughs> that that you put up because you're a Buddhist. It has uh, so much more in it that sometimes, as I was saying, the, the sangha you're not so aware of because I'm more at that end of of the support we get. And it's it's a good reflection for us being here that we're here because of the gifts of others. And uh, because of our own good karma too, you know, we're doing something right to be here. Um, so, not as in a self-complimentary way, but there's some borrow me in our own our own life stream that brings us here, and uh, and and people support that. People say, yeah, and all they really ask is that we get enlightened, and maybe feed the monks too, and watch out those turnips. <laughs> I saw the deer, they, they were enjoying the turnips today. I was six of them. So that, it's, it's a good reflection, isn't it? To, to think that, you know, here's a tradition that is, it's been going on over 2,500 years. Monastics and lay people have doing, been doing this for so, so very, very long. And, and, uh, and being, being on the kind of outer fringes of, of the Buddhist world, as it were, is has its advantages and disadvantages. You know, like in Thailand, you just feel like you're in this great sea of Buddhism, but sometimes it's, it can be kind of heavy with, with cultural stuff, which sometimes can be kind of distracting and takes up a lot of time. And yet there's also the support of a whole Buddhist society. Here we, we, we don't see the culture strongly, but there's a kind of cutting edge to our life too, I think, that you know, I don't think any of us are here because of some cultural reason. 
Uh, we're here because we're really, we want to get through suffering, basically, and realize the end of suffering. So there's a, there's a, a beautiful um, aspiration in all of us that to be here. And people feel that, you know. The, so many Asian people have come to the monasteries I've been a part of, because most of my monastic life has been away from the, the mother countries, as it were, like Amaravati or, or, or Thailand. And uh, I was sort of on the edge of almost getting a shower for myself. <laughs> now I've got one. But just that the, the people, I've had so many Burmese people and Thai people and Sri Lankan people who come and who in their own countries, they, were, they practiced tremendous generosity and had a lot of faith, but never, never took up the contemplative, reflective part of Buddhism by using Four Noble Truths and suffering and, and the meditative part. And then they come and see us doing it, and they see Westerners doing it, and they go, oh, yeah. And they start to get more deeply involved in their own tradition. And that's lovely, that's very rewarding for me, to, you know, to, for someone to come to me and say, well, Bhante, you know, uh, I studied Buddhism 101 in high school and I got an A, but I didn't understand it. <laughs> and then when you when I come to your monastery retreats, now I, now I understand what we're doing. That's, of course, oh, a nice payback, isn't it? That nice feeling of being able to offer this back. And, and that's a retreat like this is something that is inspiring to, to lay people. Oh, those who support us, they hear about it, they go, oh. That's hard work. That's good work. Uh, so, you know, bear that in mind. And then, of course, reflecting on the generosity that, that people do do um, offer us, that hopefully that really motivates our practice to be diligent and not to take not to take lightly the alms food that we receive and, and the generosity we receive, not to to kind of think it's some kind of entitlement we have because we're here and we're running the place, as it were. That's a very sad state of mind that you get. You get a kind of, I don't, I don't feel it here with anyone, but sometimes you do in monasteries a sense of monastics thinking they're entitled to something because they have a brown robe. That's a very troubling kind of mindset, whereas the, the really wholesome one is, is much, much more, oh, thank you, and how can I support my, my, my brothers and sisters in this, and how can I really use this opportunity in a way to realize Nibbana and really come to understand my stuff. And that's, that's, that's beautiful. And I, I do feel that here. I do feel that. So it's a very privileged time to, uh, to be practicing together. Okay, now that I've... Now I have to say something. <laughs> well, yesterday I was saying uh, about decisions and, and choices and that kind of idea. And that's a pretty simple idea, really. But to sustain that, sustain a decision and constantly make choices for it is much, very much the training and the practice. And that's, you can see, it is a practice in that sense. You just have to keep making that decision and, and, and informing your choices with that decision constantly. Yeah. And the decision is generally to put it into suffering, to understand yourself, but the decision is also quite uh, specific for each of us because we all have uh, different challenges that we face. I was talking with uh, 
Ajahn Sachito, and it's just delightful having him here. But um, we were talking about the kind of ascetic practices that we experienced in Thailand, which is very tough. And every every week sitting up through till six o'clock in the morning, right through on concrete floors, and uh, it was physically very, very tough. And we, and we were pondering, well, what really, what was the profit there? How profitable was that? None of us came to any conclusion. So it built built up like manly strength, I suppose, and, and endurance, and uh, certainly pushed the comfort zone to places that I'd never been, which was which was which was good. But also, I found that like my own personal challenges were were probably much much more with people, and uh, relating to people and fe- looking at my my fears and desires around uh, just human beings and, and usually in a Western context because being an expat in a Thai monastery kind of situation, you're a foreigner so you don't really know what's going on. It's really lovely. You know, the politics of the monastery and the peoples, you don't even know when the work, how they organize the work meeting. Kind of, they're all working and you're there. And, okay. And, and everyone's very, very forgiving. So, you kind of can live in a in a kind of a cloud of ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, not not stupidity. I mean, you try, you try to plug in, but you're not really connected at a cultural, emotional level with a lot of people. At least I wasn't. I didn't have the language. So somehow, those things that we experience as Westerners, or or people practicing in Western contexts, uh, are the things we feel interpersonally are quite often the more powerful indicators of where our suffering is and, and uh, the things we need to work with. And he said, I could certainly push through. I did all kinds of fasts and denied myself sleep and all that. And uh, I wasn't a very happy puppy. <laughs> and I was pretty grim, actually. Just, just push on and... And it was good in the sense that I could I, I, I could see, yeah, you've you got some strength here. You, you can do this. But I don't think I really gained much insight around the more profound things of my suffering, especially around fear, social fears and so on. And it, was, it was more like in England when I was with my my own culture and I, had, and I was relating and I could understand people's feelings to me and my feelings to them and it was somehow the culture triggered off those kind of cultural fears, and uh, I think it was much more. It's been much more edifying. Having said that, I, I might have learned the same things in Thailand, but in any case, there's like Aditana can be like you, you. You can you can say to yourself, "Oh yeah, I did eight hours of practice," but is that really a big deal? You know, we we do that, don't we? We kind of rack up the number of hours we did. And we, we note it down, but yeah, maybe you're asleep for five of them, right? <laughs> but sometimes you know it feels like some kind of athleticism. That, that, you know, you know, I wow, look at that! I did an hour and a half. Wow, look at that! And, and just a kind of self-congratulatory accumulation of of brownie points. <laughs> but was there wisdom in it? Was there any? Was it? Was it just kind of? 
pushing through for the sake of pushing through because I've created an agenda where I think by pushing through I'm going to accomplish something or was that just another ego thing that I've put on myself? So I know Tyler, I could you know, I'd push through these, these all-night sittings and feel absolutely terrible afterwards. But that, did I get any wisdom? I don't know. I don't know. So the way of ma- making aditanas which suit your psyche and address the you know, the, the way you feel fear or the way you feel hurt or the way, the way you, you need to defend yourself or the way you go into self-disparagement, that, that, that's more nuanced, isn't it? The aditana you make around that. Because that's not so much about how many hours you put on the cushion, but rather it's about your, your tendency to create a sense of a self and how that manifests with other people and within your own mind, and how not to go there, how not to go there. Which isn't, which isn't a matter of like just accumulating samadhi. Sometimes that, you know, there's a feeling, well, you just get more and more deeper and deeper samadhi, and kind of build that up. But I, I, I haven't seen that really work for people. Some people seem to have really good samadhi, but the, I think what really works is a, a mind which can can move to silence, sure. And but then, then from that silence, begin to able to witness the arising of ego, the arising of sense of a self, the arising of of craving, of greed, hatred, and delusion, and not not pursue it, not grasp it, let it go, let it cease into cessation and. And so you need, you need to sit and you need to learn how to compose the mind, center the mind, be, learn how to be still. As a kind of platform for understanding how ego things get triggered, as a, as a, as a sort of working base from being able to understand the formable truths. But if one thinks it's just kind of, you know, the more hours I can put in, the more I can accumulate this kind of, you know, kind of held silence, then... Maybe, but I, I don't. I don't really see. You know, I've seen like Lompo Semedo. He has tremendous samadhi. But when you talk with him, he's so much. He's learned as being abbot and having nuns and monks and you know the the, term, the kind of turmoil that the people can bring up into our hearts uh, is actually very very important to watch because sense deprivation is not necessarily wisdom. So. A lot of us prefer just to be on our own because there's no stimulation. And so you feel peaceful. And we have a lot of that, don't we, in the monastery. But then if, you, if I do get stimulated by someone saying something or my own projection onto them, is that necessarily bad? No, I don't think so, because it's just indicative of how the real stuff I need to look at yeah, is, is manifesting. And so on a retreat, we have a lot of time on our own, a lot of time in solitude. So how to use that, that time well? Well, I would say is make some, can you make some decisions and then choices around those decisions that would then, you could employ all the time, 24-7, rather than just some practice that gets you into a refined state when you're on your own. And then when you're with others, it's just the same old reactions. So I think one of the most not used enough practices is the 
in make, to make conscious no thought, because the way I've been talking about like body awareness, you make conscious a feeling in your eye. And I use that language deliberately because of our tendency to be a me focusing on a something. So, so that's I found for myself when I use language like that, like let, let the feeling in my hand become conscious. So I, I just, you know, feel my hands and then you know, I can feel warmth and tingling and it becomes conscious, it comes into consciousness. And that's not so much a me doing, it's a localizing, yep. But it's not trying to attain anything, get anything, get rid of anything. It's just like allowing the body to be sensation and feeling. Well, the, you can do that with no thought also. You know, like if you just listen to sound, and I say to you, no thought. Surely we can all do that right now, right? That's not... It's not far away. No thought. There you are, okay? So, make conscious, no thought. And we, don't, we don't usually do that. We either, well, mostly we think too much. But, you know, we try to look at an object of meditation in order to put away thinking. And when that works, sometimes, sure, yeah, you get concentrated. But actually, yeah, if you can cultivate that, just the kind of deliberate making conscious no thought. Like, you, can, I can make conscious the, a bodily feeling. I can make conscious sound, if you know what I mean. And then, but also I can, I can allow no thought. And this is no thought. Now, being able to abide with that more and more is, is very interesting because it's thought that really creates the papancha, the attachment, the proliferation, and if one is able to remember that, make a decision and choose that a lot, no thought. Make conscious that. And I, I'm not trying to get rid of thought. I'm, not trying, I'm just choosing to notice no thought. It's very close. It's not so far away. Okay, so what, what happens if I do that? I get a little better and better at it. Well, then, then when the you know human interactions or uh, if I have some sickness or physical pain or whatever, they those things all vibrate my my psyche, my my energy system. So if someone, you know, says something inadvertently unkind to me, or or say it's a bit rough with me for in speech, then the whole system feels that. But if you're if I'm abiding as no thought, and I keep choosing that, then it just vibrates and then it's gone. It doesn't stick. It doesn't hold. It, it, it's got no, it's not, it hasn't got any kind of footing because the footing is always through thought. So we still get impacted by things and that Im- impact we have has a, has a reaction from our habits. It might be a fearful habit or a critical judgmental habit or a, a lustful habit or a greedy habit or a self-doubting habit or whatever. So we're going to experience our individuality in these various ways. But if you, if you have made choices and, and you've made decisions to have an alternative to thought, such as the hara, the heart, or no thought, and you've actually done that 
deliberately and understood what you're doing in, in the formal practice, then that should be quite powerful and it should not be any, in any way separate from the rest of your life, 24-7, right? And that's, I think, we can do uh, in formal practice. Like all this time we have alone, it's like, you know, rather than try to get something as a sort of samadhi experience or jhanic experience or arya maga and all these kinds of things, that, you know, those, whatever they are, they, they come and go and whatever, but, but something kind of more pragmatic is, is like the ability to, in the ordinariness of life, not grass thought. And and how can you do that? Well, you, you make decisions and then choices on those decisions to have some fallback, some alternative way of interpreting life, of responding to life. Right? Rather than just the just the reaction and then ooh, the papancha through thought. And one of the ways is to start to to make conscious no thought. And people tell me, oh, I think so much. Yeah, yeah, sure, but no thought. Yeah, but I think so much, I don't know how to stop thinking. No, 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 just no thought. Yeah, but I have to find the roots of that, you know. No, no thought. And if you if you do this, you'll find there's a kind of really fundamental restlessness in our, in our psyches. It's always like jangled trying to think something, figure something out, get something done, solve a problem. You know, it's a kind of... And it's very uncomfortable not to follow the thought, because the thought is, is the kind of comfort zone that is driven by this restlessness of the need for self-definition or whatever it might be. So then there's a kind of disease with not thinking, because we're not familiar with that. We're not, we're not conversant with that. But if you, if you play around with that, you can make a suggestion that, you know, Okay, I'm going to... What's he talking about? Okay, I'll give it a go. I can make conscious no thought. Now, I'm not saying that tomorrow, don't think. It's different, isn't it? Don't think tomorrow. You must not think. Then you just hate me. Or yourself. Probably, anyway, if two hates, then. (laughs) But rather, you can make conscious no thought. You can do that. We can do that now. You just have to remember to do it to make a strong decision. And that, to me, seems a much more worthwhile aditana than just saying, I'm going to sit for eight hours tomorrow. Big deal. Eight hours of, of just struggling with sleepiness or that. It, it, you know, it has its place. And, and I certainly encourage lots of formal practice. But what's the underlying wisdom in, in these kind of lists that we might make about what I'm going to do? And that, that wisdom aspect, that contemplative, reflective aspect, is what makes, makes it much more interesting. Rather than, oh God, I said, Aditan, I'm going to do eight hours, and I've only done five, three more hours, what am I going to do? You know, that's kind of boring. <laughs> but to actually, like, to have a project like that, where, where you have the understanding of what, what would really help in, in all the time life, right? And then you, you make a decision, oh, that'd be an interesting one to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a go. And then it's much easier, rather than just some endurance test that, that you may, you probably lose. And then, then the whole, all the time, you know, you start to pick up something like that and employ it all the time, and you get really proficient. So, so Lompo Smedos, 
way of that is the, the sound of silence. You know, that's what he's developed. Wow. He had that experience in Hampstead in 77, and then he didn't teach it, and then he started to teach it a lot, as you know. And he just worked with it, and that's what he would do for no thought. You just say, just hold it for a count of 15. You can do that. You can do no thought for a count of 15. It, it's a kind of interesting aditana, it's a challenge. Oh, right. And because and you're really getting to the core of, of atta and self-creation and how, how the whole ego gets born. And, and so that, that sense of dhamma-vijaya or inquiry, when, it, you know, when, when aditana is combined with inquiry and, and, and study, the whole path becomes much more, um, I think, re- relevant to, to your core reason you're here, mm-hmm. and probably much more interesting. Having said that, you know, there's a lot of, there is a lot of slog in, in the meditative life because we also go through purification. And we get like, we just get so much garbage coming up sometimes. It's like a trash machine, isn't it? And, and you, you, so you need a lot of endurance. But where does, where does the garbage really get heavy is when through thought. So I might feel some old resentments or, or powerful fears or whatever. It's, and, and to actually to take those difficult bits of my history and, and my present uh, psyche and, and, and to, to see some really difficult bit and to keep using that same aditana to no thought. And you, know, you still feel the vibration or, or sound of silence or feeling at the heart, you know. So you, you hone your, your skill around the very stuff that is most confusing for you. You hone your skill around the very things which cause you the most suffering. But somehow you've got to get in there and you need some entry. So the way you can do that is in your sitting practice, you start to get the skills to use some of these tools that, that, that you know, teachers talk about. What tools you like, what suggestions you like, it's... You know, Teachers are just going to throw some stuff out. It's up to you to kind of see what might be helpful, what might work. But you know, think about it. You want, you're trying to get to the core of of how ego gets created, because that's where the suffering is. The core of the how 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 craving conditions attachment and conditions suffering. And and if your if your aditanas and your inquiry doesn't address that, then you know you think, well, I'm not hitting the mark. And that's very personal, isn't it? Very personal. Right? Leave that for your reflection. Antamayang tamagataya sa tukarang dadamasi sa tukarang dadamasi